And I want to just encourage everyone this morning, you know, that, that word in Philippians, that was something that the Lord had to really help me with. Because again, you know, when there's ever any things that happen on the external side, there's a lot of things that are being, you know, there's new calls, there's new, you know, expectations of everybody. And what can happen to that is that the external starts to pressure you on the inside until all of a sudden you burst or you pop. And I kind of felt like I had my popping moment this past week when all of a sudden another, it feels like external restrictions were put in place. And this is where I just really went into my office and said, Lord, I, I need your help on this. I'm a little bit frustrated, a little bit bothered. And the reality is the Lord just said, Joel, I need you responsive to me. Those simple words, maybe you've heard that a lot, but that is just, that, those words just brought absolute faith into my heart. Joel, I want you responsive to me. So that just really ultimately changed my entire week. What am I doing? Responding to him. I'm responding to him. Everything that's going on here, it's just a temporary thing, and it's going to change in two weeks. Okay, that's great. Even if it doesn't, guess what? We're still going to be all fine. Why? Because we respond to him. We are going to live like those that the gospel of Christ is working in our lives. My lifestyle is never going to change simply because some external restrictions are going to come. I live like Jesus is alive. I live like his word is true. So you've got to make up your mind right quick what the final authority in your life is. Is it the word of God? If so, then we stand on it. And having done all to stand, we do not move. We are the army. What do armies do? Armies don't fall back. They don't retreat and go, oh, we're going to get our butt kicked. Run, run, run. No, we continue to stand. And having done all to stand, we ain't budging from this post. This is who we are. This is what we do. So I need some non-budgers around here. People that stick their feet in and say, no, 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 no. I ain't moving. I ain't budging on the word. This is what God told me. This is what I'm going to see. Even having done, we continue to pray for our government. Pray for those. We continue to stand for that. Amen. You have to. If you want God access into those people, we got to do something. You know, again, we've talked about this numerous times, but God has left the destiny of cities, of provinces, of nations in the hands of hungry people. The more hungrier we are for God, guess who calls the shots in cities? Hungry people do. Not necessarily governments. It's hungry people that are connected to God. They call the shots. It's powerful. You can even read that in the book of Acts. You actually see that when the Spirit of God comes down, the, the Holy Spirit, the purpose is that my sons and daughters will prophesy, and on my handmaidens and my servants, they shall prophesy, and then all of a sudden you'll see what happens after they prophesy. You and I, we, we hold a lot of power on the inside, especially those that are hungry for Him. You hold and are a, a very dangerous bunch. Did you know that? They can make some kind of law, but guess what? When you prophesy, then God moves on what you say. That's why this is really, you know what, actually, back in the olden times, which you can define olden for me, olden times, I guess, would be in the 40s, 50s, really even 70s. But I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you know what? Some of the things they used to say is that Christianity was called the great, like rather than Christianity, it was called the great profession. There, what was the, You can see that in actually Hebrews chapter 3 or chapter 4. It actually talks about Christianity being the great confession. We Christians, we live by what we say. We believe, therefore we speak. This is what faith is. We live by faith. And faith is believing and speaking. Believing and speaking. Believing and speaking. Say it with me. Believing and speaking. Believing and speaking. This is how we live. I'm not lived by what happens out here. I'm lived by what's coming in my heart. And out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth will speak. We live by what we believe. And this is why the word of God has to be your final authority. If it's not, you are going to be very wishy-washy, very yo-yo Christian. And I don't mean yo-yo, I mean like yo-yo, yo-yo. We don't want yo-yo. We want consistent, steady, pressing forward. Amen. This isn't my message, but I'm just warming up to it a little bit. Everybody doing it? We're okay, though? We're smiling? We're happy? Anybody angry this morning that we need to fix that a little bit, no? Because it doesn't say the anger of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So we got to get real happy real quick. Just look at your neighbor and just smile at him real big just for a moment and say hi. I'm not angry. Just let him know I'm not angry. Okay. And if they are angry, find somebody else to sit by. <laughs> angry people, the, the back door is available if you want. <laughs> okay. All right, so let's go into this. We are going to continue talking about encounter. Everybody say encounter. encounter. Now, this is a word that God gave us. This is some time ago. The Lord continued to spoke this to us. But we are to expect 
We are to prepare our hearts, and we are to create an atmosphere for the Spirit of God to have access into you and my life. By doing so, then we can expect an encounter. Now, again, one of the things, whenever you get a word from God, no matter who you are, where you come from, it always needs corresponding action. Right? Whenever God gives you a word, the best thing, the next thing to do is, okay, how can I put this into place in my life? How can I live this out? Now, so when we hear as a church family the word encounter, that is a word for you collectively because you've made this church your home. This is a word that God gave us as a church family is the word encounter. Come on, say it with me, encounter. So what does that mean? That our response to hearing the word encounter is that we press into him and we prepare our hearts for a greater understanding of who he is. It's you, you got to do something with it. When you hear the word encounter, you can't just kind of go, well, I hope to see it someday. No, you actively push into that now. Okay, three amens. The rest will get there. Now, and as we saw many times last week, we talked about um, how Israel, for example, anytime that they got a word from God, what do they do there as, again, corresponding action? God told Moses, I want to meet my people at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. And Moses, or God actually said to Moses, Acts 19.10, he says, prepare for my arrival. Everybody say, prepare. prepare. Prepare means is that you do something before the actual event. Right? I mean, for example, Jamie and I, before we had our first date, that, well, if I say first date, my dad forced me to go on my first date with her, but... We were, we were in BC, and I, like, I'm not really, I, I'm not the best planner. I know, what? <laughs> that may come to news to a lot of you, but. Uh, so I, my dad and I, we went out to Surrey, BC. We were at a prayer conference, and then, uh, so my dad, like, I had Jamie's number with me, and he's like, why don't you give her a call? And like, we're already, listen, we're already in Surrey. Like, we're only there for two days, and then we're out. And I'm like, ah, oh, I pace in the floor. I don't know what to say. My hands are sweating. I, I, no, I just can't. And he says, if you don't, I will. <laughs> said, you're married. You can't go on a date with my maybe girlfriend. Like, I don't, how's that going to work? Phone her. So he gave me his Palm Pilot back in 2006. One of those massive Palm Pilots. Uh, hey, Jamie. Uh, is one of her, like, Elise? Was that one of your friends? No, it's Joel. Oh, what happened to you? Nothing. <laughs> She's super duper nervous. But I phoned her up and thank God she was free. So she said, hey, let's, I'll pick you up. So she had to pick me up. <laughs> you were in Surrey. She was, so she picked me up from, from the hotel. We we're going to go to Red Robins. I know. Clocks and fries, anyone? Absolutely. We'll take two of those, por favor. And, uh, so we got there, but when we clicked, after the phone actually, the phone call ended and it said, yeah, we're, let's, let's do this, what did I do? I got ready. Because I was expecting to go on a date, what does it need? Corresponding action. So what did I do? Showered. Thank God for deodorant and cologne. You can put deodorant on your hands. Just, what's that smell? Just don't worry about it. It's so I don't sweat. We're good. Deodorant, showering, you do your hair, and at the same time, Hey, Dad, can I borrow a few bucks? You put your, some money into your wallet. What do you do? You get ready. Men, get ready. Can I share your story? Javen, this is awesome. My wonderful brother here, he, when he went on his date with now his wife, Megan, and uh, <laughs> talk about getting ready. I don't know what happened. I don't know. Maybe you were just real nervous because you were going to go on your first date. They went to Earl's. No, keg. They keg. He went to the keg. And guess what? He got ready. He forgot his wallet. <laughs> so what happened? Megan paid for the meal. <laughs> and she still married him. So I don't know how that all worked out, but James, surely the Lord is good to you. Surely the Lord is good to you. But he's very merciful. And ever since then, Megan has been buying, you know what, you name it. It's really a great marriage. I'd like to learn how you did that so I can incorporate that. And even another example is even having a baby. What happens? You are a expecting a baby. So what do you do? You prepare. You prepare a room. You get baby clothes. You get all the necessities that you need for when the baby comes, you don't go, oh, I need a call. Oh, shoot. What do I do here? Uh, 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 uh. You, fig you plan ahead. Well, it's the same way. When you hear the word encounter and the Lord is interested in you and I having a deeper understanding, walking more intimately with him, it requires you and I get ready. It requires it. If there's no, if there's no you know, foundation work before the encounter, don't expect it. You basically, what am I trying to say? The point in all this is 
You prepare yourself for what you're expecting. It's basically what's happening. So what, is there anything in your, do your days reflect an expectation for a deeper relationship with the Lord? If we were to look into your calendar and look at actually what your days, can we see that you are actually preparing for an encounter? And I don't just mean encounter, meaning some glorious vision. I'm also meaning a deeper understanding and walking more intimately with the Lord. Does your days reflect that expectation? That's something that you have to answer for yourself. If the answer is no, do something. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And again, let's talk about this. God's desire is closeness. And I want you to go to your Bibles. Go to Colossians chapter 1. I'll, turn, I'll go read it there in a sec. But God has always been interested <clears throat> in being close with people. To this day, God is interested in being close with you. Now, I don't want that to become so familiar that I go, oh, yeah, I've heard that many times. Listen, the Almighty, the one that literally put the stars with his fingers, wants to be your friend. He wants to be close. And he wants to be close with you. Wow. This is our God. This is who he is. This is what he's like. And you can see that from the very beginning of time, all throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. You constantly see God looking for a man, looking for a woman, somebody that would reciprocate that same desire, that same passion to be with him. And you can, you can see it. If you especially look at Hebrews chapter 11, you see all these different men and women, what we call heroes of faith. It doesn't mean they just did heroic acts, although they did. But the common denominator behind all that is that simply they love God because they simply responded to the love that they receive from him first why was Noah used it says Noah was a righteous man found favor in the eyes of God Noah walked with God and what happened God was able to use that man to save his family and the animals from a flood <laughs> it's, it's quite something if you really go back and you stop and just think about it that these individuals were mightily used of God because there was a relationship there was a friendship well God wants to do the exact same thing with you in my life this world is not just up to whatever the political leader is did you know that? What is God looking for? He's looking for a heart that's fully committed to him so he can work through and work with. The job that you're working at is not up to your boss. You know what? You can change that whole thing around by walking close and having influence. So don't just think you're limited or you're stuck. It, it, it really, he's looking for someone to be close with. Again, in Leviticus 27, 14, Ezekiel 37, 27, this is what God said throughout the Old Testament. I will live in them and I will be their God. This is God's desire. He wants to be close. Even if you look at the book of Genesis and how God wonderfully made this earth in six days, what did he do it for? What did he do all the six days leading up before he made Adam? What did he do? He prepared a place for his creation, for his man, and go, hey, now you actually read it in Genesis chapter 2. After God breathed into him, it says that God placed him in the garden. What was he in the garden for? Man, that's, that's where it was at. And then God would call, he would bring all the animals to him. God now became a co-worker with Adam and said, Adam, now you be fruitful, you multiply, you fill up the earth and have dominion. All the animals would came to him and he would look at them and say, hippo, giraffe. Now think about it. I mean, the guy's brilliant, obviously, at that time. But God would see what he would call them and that's what their names were. So I want you to see before even all of this, God just was looking for someone to do life with. That's what he's interested in and he's still interested in to this day. Now, because God desires closeness, that means he hates distance. He hates it. That's why you actually even see in John chapter 1, I believe, verse 29, that when the, the, John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, look, there he comes, the one who takes away the sin of the world. God hates distance. That's why he hates sin. He doesn't just hate sin because it's just bad stuff. He hates it because it separates you from him. That's why he hates sin with a passion. It doesn't hate the sinner. He hates sin. Because what is sin? Ultimately, it is separation. And God hates distance. This morning, he hates distance. And so what did he do? He sent Jesus to go at war against the space between us. This is what he did. He declared war. When he, when he came to this earth, remember what the angel said? Glory to God in the highest and goodwill to mankind on earth. Right? Peace on earth and good, goodwill toward all men. It's good for us, but man, it was dangerous for the enemy because those days of separation were coming to a close. It's wonderful. It was set a war on distance. And I want to just show you a couple of things here. Colossians chapter 1, 
And let's just read a couple of verses here. But what did he do? Jesus came to close the gap. And again, I want to just lay a foundation for what we're going to get into in the coming weeks. But he hates the space between us. In Colossians 1 verse 15, it says, you know, I love this. Paul kind of goes into a real, like he gets real excited when he's writing his letter. I believe Paul, when he's first writing, he's praying. And so he's sitting down writing these letters. And all of a sudden, he gets to verse 15. He jumps up out of his seat and he starts going, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. And then he existed before anything was ever, he gets excited at this part. Like, I want you to see his little passion being shown out here. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Click. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through God, through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, this is the message that you and I carry. We are ambassadors here with one message. What's our message? Turn or burn, turn or burn, turn or burn. There's truth to that, but our message is not bad news. Our message is God reconciled everything to himself. Come back to God, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. So we plead as Christ's representatives, come back to God. Listen, what's our message? Come back. Come back. His love is calling you out. That's the message that we proclaim. This is the message that we will preach until we're out of here. Now go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Look at this. Or 21. Now I want you to read this. Even though you were once distant from him. Where were we? You were distant from him. Living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you who would dwell in his presence. And now, everybody say now. now. There is nothing between you and Father. Amen. There is nothing between you and Father. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. There's nothing. Marcel, come up here for a sec. Just jump up here. At one point, there was distance. God, Marcel is going to be God at this point. There, before, I know, good-looking good looking guy. He's made in his image. That's why you're so handsome. That this time, there was this distance. I just want you to see this. This is not me and God's relationship right now. Oh, but I messed up this morning. There is no distance between me and God this morning. Jesus absolutely took away this distance. This is what God hated was right here. This is what he declared war on right here. This is what he hates. He loathes this right here. So what did he do? He went to war to get rid of this space. And so right now, wherever you're seated, he's got heels on. There's no way he's this much. Okay, sit down. Here, sit down. Should have looked for somebody without heels on. That would have been helpful. Yes, I'm the oldest, but I'm the shortest. It's, it's a great place to be. But right now, what is it? There is no distance between me and him. I love that. Go back Colossians again, guys. Colossians 1.22. <clears throat> you would dwell in his presence, and now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you. Now listen, he sees you. He sees you. He sees me. Say it. He sees me. He sees me a certain way. How does he see me? Holy, flawless, and restored. Whole, flawless, restored. Who am I? I'm holy, meaning I'm separated. I'm separated for him. That's who I am. This is the crown that he put on me. I'm separated with love and tender mercy. Right now, I'm holy. I have been now made flawless. I can go before him as if I've never sinned. That's who I am. I've never messed up in my life. 
Well, I'm sure you have. Listen, of course, I know. I've, I've messed up things in the past. I know I've done that. But that's not how he sees me. So why would I try to convince him otherwise? Why would I try to go, you, God, you don't remember what I did last week. Don't remind him. You can actually read that in Isaiah 42, I believe, is that I, even I, am blotting out your transgression for my own sake. He's not blotting it out for your sake necessarily, although it benefits you. He's blotting it out for whose sake? His own sake. Why? He doesn't want to remember you as those that what you did in the past. He doesn't want to think of you that way. Same way you want to do with your kids. You don't want to think of them some kind of loser who did this. <laughs> right? <laughs> So how does Father remember us? Thank God he doesn't go, oh, yeah, that Joel Housing, I'm sure not what you did in high school. A little punk back when you were 17. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that. He looks at me and goes, God is good and he's better than you think. Man, flawless and without and completely restored. So to close this gap now, but listen, it got ugly. To close the distance that was between me and God, it had to get extremely ugly for this distance to get rid of. Can I give you just a couple of verses? I want you to go to Psalm 22 for a moment. I don't have this on the screen, guys, so don't have to worry about it. But to close the gap, it got ugly spiritually, it got ugly mentally, and it got ugly physically. The whole process for you and I to, to destroy distance it got extremely ugly. Isaiah, while you're Psalm 22, Isaiah 54, 14, it says this, Many were amazed when they saw him, talking about Jesus, talking about God's servant. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, uh, one would scarcely know that he was even a man. Now that's from the physical side of it. A lot of times when you look at the cross, you kind of go, man, there's the, the physical side was absolutely something else. But do you also know that there was a whole emotional attachment to that as well? Did you know that in that prison, do you know what those Roman guards were doing to him? Of course, it's not in scripture. But in order for him to be a faithful high priest who knows the feelings and what we've gone through, he had to have been raped. Jesus was sexually abused down in there. In order to be a faithful high priest that is not distant from the infirmities and what we've gone through, you have no idea all the absolute evil that was done when he was hanging in that prison. All the emotional torment that people would put him through. Things were said about him. Things were talked about him. And all of a sudden, now he's in this dungeon all night. The, what the absolute horror that he faced for you and I. In order to be a faithful high priest, he had to have experienced it. Otherwise, how could he come down and help those that have gone through something like that? It's impossible. Somebody who's gone through anxious thoughts. Somebody who's gone through heartache. How, how would he be able to be a faithful high priest if he himself had never gone through any of that? But thank God he did. <laughs> Why? For us. Now Psalm 22, I want to just read parts of this to you. Because this psalm is powerful. This is, this is a psalm that Jesus, or I guess David wrote, but he was prophesying about when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Again, what is he fighting? The distance between us. Because a lot of times people will use their, what happened to them physically, what happened to them emotionally, what happened in their experiences as a kid or as a teenager or as an adult, things that happened to them, and they, say, they use that as an ex, as a, uh, example that I can't get close to God. No, no, he's very familiar with what you're going through. That's why he's a faithful high priest. But listen to this, 22 verse 1. God, my God, why have you abandoned me now? I'm reading from the Passion if you guys want to follow. Why do you remain distant, refusing to answer my tearful cries in the day and my desperate cries for your help in the night? I can't stop sobbing. You, where are you, my God? Remember, he's hanging on the cross at this point. And this is exactly what, if you were one of the soldiers that were there, you would have heard him quoting Psalm 22. And not that Jesus all of a sudden, this is a great time to think of Psalm 22. No, David saw this in the spirit. He saw God's servant hanging on there. He saw the, the war on distance taking place. Yet I know that you are most holy. Verse 3. It's indisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Our Father's faith was in you. Through the generations, they trusted and believed in you, and you came through. Every time they cried for help out of, to you in their despair, you were faithful to deliver them. You didn't disappoint them. But look at me now. I'm like a woeful worm, crushed and bleeding crimson. I don't even look like a man anymore. I've been abused. 
I've been despised and scorned by everyone, mocked by their jeers, despised by their sneers, as all the people poke fun at me, spitting their insults, saying, is this the one who trusted in God? Is this the one who claims God is pleased with him? Now let's see if your God will come to your rescue. We'll just see how much he delights in you. Lord, you delivered me safely from my mother's womb. You are the one who cared for me since I was a baby. Since the day I was born, I've been placed in your custody. You've cradled me throughout my days. I've trusted in you, and I've always been my God. So don't leave me now. Stay close to me, for trouble is near. Trouble is all around me, and there's no one else to help me. I'm surrounded by many violent foes. Mighty forces of evil are swirling around me who want to break me to bits and destroy me. Curses pour out from their mouths. They're like ravenous, roaring lions tearing their prey. Now I'm completely exhausted. I'm spent. Every joint has been pulled apart. My courage has vanished, and my inward parts have melted away. I'm so thirsty and parched, dry as a bone. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and now you've left me in the dust for dead. They have pierced my hands and my feet like a pack of wild dogs. Those are demons. Wild dogs, they tear at me, swirling around me with their hatred. They gather around me like lions to pin my hands and my feet. All my bones stick out. Look at how they gloat over me and stare. With a toss of the dice, they divide my clothes among themselves, gambling for my garments. Lord my God, please don't stay far away. For you are my only might and strength. Won't you come to rescue me? Give me back my life. Save me from this violent death. Save my precious one and only from the power of these demons. Save me from the power of the enemy, from this roaring lion raging against me in the power of his dark horde. Yet, I will praise you. Do you know how Jesus defeated hell? He did it with praise. Do you know how you're going to defeat this, this series that we're going through? The time that we're in right now? We do it with praise. When the devil thinks he's one, what do you do? I praise. Psalm 8 talks about that, how we silence the enemy as we lift our voice. This is how we praise. This is how we fight. This is how we stand. We continue to praise his name. We continue to shout the name of Jesus and all that he's done. Guys, go back to Psalm 22. Where was that? Do you guys remember? Verse 20. 22. I will praise your name before all my brothers. As, my, as the people gather, I will praise you in the midst. Lovers of Yahweh, praise him. All the true seed of Jacob, glorify him with your praises. Stand in awe of him, all you princely people, the offering of Israel. For he has not despised my cries or my despair. And if you, just, if you guys go all the way down to verse uh, 30 for a moment. It says, his spiritual seed, who's that? That's us. His spiritual seeds shall serve him. Future generations will hear from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. Verse 31. His gener this generation yet to be born will glorify him and we will all declare it is finished. What's finished? The distance is finished. The law he completed. He fulfilled the works of the law. That kept that people at a distance from God. Anything that had to do with distance, Jesus came and he absolutely destroyed the distance. That's why he crucified. That's why he's hanging on that cross. It is finished. So that right at that moment, what happened in the, in the temple? From the top to bottom, it says that the veil that was there, that curtain was ripped into from top to bottom. Meaning this, that God has, God has left the building. He's done. Never wanted to be just stuck and confined to a box to begin with. That goes into the next point. What was God's purpose in all this? Not only did Jesus come and destroy the gap, but you can actually see that God's desire was not to be in a home, in a box somewhere. He wanted to be in people. Ah, in us. Come on, think about that. In me. He wants to reside on the inside of me. We have got to become God inward conscious. He's there. I'm trying to pray. How come I'm just not getting anything back? Your prayer didn't need to go higher than your nose. He's here. You don't need to shout it from the rooftop. He's here. You don't need to go into Calgary Tower and start proclaiming and casting demons out. Why? You got the Spirit of God in me now. He's here. This has been his passion from the very beginning. God's very beginning. And actually, if you just really, when you read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 16, and the passion says, God has said, I will make my home in them. And walk in them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Amen. When you look at this, this is kind of actually seeing like when you walk into the halfway of a movie or something like that, and you're trying to figure out what's all going on. 
This is kind of the punchline that God used, but he had been talking about that from the very beginning. He said to Satan that the seed of the woman will bruise your head and you will bruise her foot. What is he, going, what is he talking about? Closing the gap. From the very beginning, he had been talking about closing the gap, a war on distance, because God hated being on the outside of his creation that he loved so dearly. So what's his passion? What's his desire? It's us. It's always been us. Now look at this. Hebrews chapter 8. I'll give you these verses too. Hebrews 8, 8 through 13. It says this. God revealed the defect and limitation of the first. Talking about the, the covenant that they had. The Ten Commandments that Moses had given Israel. He said this. Look. <laughs> The day is coming, guys, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them a new covenant. Thank God for a new covenant. Aren't you glad that we didn't have to usher in a bunch of cows and bulls and goats and slit their throats? It'd be a mess this morning. Can you imagine our cleaning crew? Dear Lord, they'd be like, man, oh, this sucks. Blood every week. Verse 9, it says, it will be an entirely different covenant. So if you're trying to live off the old covenant, which is do's and don'ts, that's why you're frustrated because it's an entirely different covenant that we're living in now. The do's and don't covenant, Jesus fulfilled it. Now we live on a different covenant, which is now operated by grace. The grace of God. Operated by the love of God. It says, different than the one I made with their fathers when I led them by hand out of Egypt... For they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I rejected them, says the Lord God. For here is the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. I will embed my laws within their thoughts. I will fasten them onto their hearts. I will be their loyal God, and they will be my loyal people. And the result of this, now look at the result of all this, will be that everyone will know me as Lord. Because in the Old Testament, who knew him as Lord? The select few. The priests, the king, they knew him as Lord, but everybody else didn't have that opportunity or that ability. But now, everyone, say with me, everyone, everyone, everyone will know me as Lord. You can't get any more intimate than that. Everyone knows me as Lord. That's why Jesus paid too high of a price for you to get secondhand information. He wants to talk to you personally, one-on-one, -on -one, so that you hear it right from his lips. There's no man between God and his people except Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for that? We don't have to find a priest. You don't have to come to me and say, what is God thinking about this? You can hear him for yourself. Isn't that wonderful? And he says, there will be no need to, at all to teach the fellow citizens or brothers by saying, you should all know the Lord Jehovah, since everyone will know me where? Inwardly. Everyone will know me inwardly. From the most unlikely to the most distinguished. And actually, and you look at the actual the Aramaic for that, it means from the youngest to the oldest. That's why there's no age limit. God doesn't have stepchildren. God doesn't have, you know, secondborns under him. My son Jace, Max, and Brooks, they can experience the same relationship with God that I have because they're not, you know, the next generation coming up. God will talk to them as much as he'll talk to me. That's why you got to put the word in there, man. Because when they get it, my kids even talk to me about the word. And I go, oh, yeah, that's, hey, that's a good thought. Anyway, for I will demonstrate my mercy to them and will forgive their evil deeds and never remember again their sins. This is who our God is. Again, what's, what are we talking about? Closing the gap. Fighting against the, the war on distance. This is what we're after because God desires to be close. The last point I want to read out here now is this. So number one, Jesus came and he closed the gap. Number two, his desire to be close caused him to make his home inside of us. And thirdly now, he gave us his own spirit to reveal and experience his closeness and to be the guard against any kind of threat to distance. Now just because Jesus closed the gap doesn't mean that you can't just walk away from it. You're going to have to actively, with the spirit of God, make sure that that distance stays tight. It's a consciousness that you have. There's something Smith Wigglesworth, I was just reading some, through some of his books again. And one of the things that he always asked the Lord, he said, to maintain my connection to the Lord, there's two questions I ask the Lord literally every single day. Number one was this, Lord, is there anything you'd have me do today 
Number two, is there anything that's causing uh, division between the two of us? Is there anything? And just be open to go, hey, yeah, maybe, you know what, I need to stop watching that. Or, hey, maybe I need to put that down a little bit. I need to maybe, you know, turn off the news here a little bit. Or maybe i got to stop watching this show. Whatever it is he tells you, do it. Because what do you get out of it? You get him. Is it worth it? Come on, now. Come on. Is it worth it? Yes. Why? You get him. So that's why he gave the spirit of God. And that's why I encourage you. If you ever felt, you know, everybody ever feel conviction before? You've been convicted? That's good. Crave conviction. Don't shy away from it. When you feel convicted, go, oh, something's trying to distance us. That's the spirit of God. That's the something's trying to distance. So what do you do? Respond to that conviction and just go with it. Condemnation is wrong. Condemnation is guilt. It's from the enemy. It's the voice of the enemy completely. Putting guilt, putting shame. Oh, why did I do this? How come I, how come you can never, that is completely the enemy. Conviction is on the inside of you going, ah, oh, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. And that's the Spirit of God telling you that's not what we do anymore. <laughs> so do not shy away from conviction. In fact, embrace it. Look for it. I'm glad we can all yeehaw to that. All right. Number one, the Holy Spirit came to reveal the closeness and the reality of Jesus to us. Look at John chapter 16, 12 through 15. Jesus said this, there is so much more I would like to say to you, but it's more than you can grasp at this moment. This really actually shows me and tells me here that there is many things that, the whole, that Jesus would love to share with me, but sometimes he can't talk to me about it because I don't have the spiritual death or the emotional maturity to handle it. This is a, this is a big deal. This is why Christians, for a lot of part, we have got to become spiritually mature not get offended. Somebody didn't, somebody didn't say hi to me. Wah. But we kind of go, what happens? The enemy uses these types of things. And you know what? Not only are you now stuck in offense or bitterness or resentment or whatever it is, but now the Lord can't actually share things with you. Why? Because you can't hear it. <laughs> so let me encourage you. Refuse to be offended. Say whatever you want about me. I will refuse to be offended. Why? Because there's so much more that he wants to say to me, and I want to be able to hear it. <laughs> okay? And the other good news is to that, yeah, yeah, this is, of course, is Jesus talking to the disciples. But did you actually know in a meeting, kind of like this, that the Spirit of God, because listen, I mean, I can prepare all that I want, but really it's the Holy Spirit being using me as a vessel to use to speak. That's really how I view it. That's how I see it. But did you know that, most of the time, when even in different meetings that I've been, it's actually, you know what, not so much the preparation or the, the readiness of the speaker, it's actually the hearers that have play a bigger part in it. Absolutely. It, you play a way bigger part in this than I actually will even maybe think out to be in my own mind. You pay a, play a big role in all of this. Because if you come, I don't really give a rip what he's got to say. I don't care what the God's got to do. Let's just sing the song and get out of here. I can check it off my box. Well, guess what? You're going to get nada out of it, and nothing's going to come out of it. All right. I'll just leave that one there. Yeehaw. Verse 12 or 13. But when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth. What's he going to do? Unveil. What does unveil mean? I don't have a... To cover up. He is going to lift over. And what is he going to do? He's going to show and reveal truth within you. Within you. Everybody say Within. Truth doesn't come necessarily just from the outside. Truth comes from the word of God, and it's revealed within. Okay? He says he won't speak on his own, but only when he hears from the Father, and he will reveal prophetically to you, come on, say it, to me, what is to come. So many times we're waiting for somebody to give a prophetic word. Why? Well, they're a prophet of God, or they're used by... Great! He says he wants to talk to you about the future. And this is what we're going to get into next week. But God said this a lot of times, again, in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New. If you will seek me, you will find me. What's the emphasis on? Me. If you. If you will seek me, you will find me. But we kind of just left that and kind of go, well, you know, if somebody seeks God, somebody will experience God. No, if you. Again, we are having as much of God as you and I are, are expecting and wanting in our life right now. I am having as much of God in my life that I want him to be involved in my life. If you want that to increase, guess what? You can increase it. 
Thank you, Lord. Verse 14, he will glorify me on the earth, for he will receive from me what is mine and reveal it to you. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me. That's why I say that the divine encourager will receive what is mine. And what's he going to do? He's going to reveal it to you. You and I ought not to be living in the dark in any area of our life. So what do we got to do? We have to learn the art of taking time to be with him. It's an art. You practice it. You do it. You learn things. Right? You can pick up even on sometimes even the moods of God. Because not every time is it somber and quiet. There's some times I've gone into my prayer room, and then there's other times where I'm on the floor crying. Then there's other times that I'm laughing. You can't just make, okay, this is how I experience God, so that's how it's going to be the next time. you got to learn the man. When I go and spend time with Jamie, it's not like all of a sudden I can bring all my cool jokes and she just sits and laughs at them. Which, by the way, she does not laugh enough at what I say. But... I throw some good singers out there, and it's like, looking for a fan here, looking for a fan. There's other times where, like, man, we're having a great conversation. There's other times we're laughing. There's other times where she's sharing her heart. It's constantly different. It's it's relationship. Because what does he want? He wants to be close. And now the last part of this here is that the Holy Spirit, he protects the closeness. Look at this, James chapter 4, verse 5. He protects the closeness. So whenever you feel corrected by the Lord, don't shy away from it. If somebody, even a a leader that you have in your life or someone who's godly in your life that you allow to speak in, when they give even correction, don't run away from it. Don't go, that's all I mean. Because really the the primary goal of all this is closeness. There's, There's spiritual depths. There's depth on the inside of me that I've yet to attain. And how do I get that? Yeah, obviously by spending time with the Lord. But then there are those that I've, that I've allowed to speak into my life to help stretch and grow me on the inside. Did you know that you have a capacity on the inside? Are you aware of that? You can develop that capacity. You can grow that capacity. And one way that we can do that in the Spirit is by praying in other tongues. You can grow your capacity in the Spirit by doing so, by taking time just to simply pray. Pray about what? Well, it doesn't matter. You just have to spend some time praying in other tongues. What will that do? It'll enlarge you on the inside, and it gives you an ability to actually hear clearly. That's what tongues does. You know what? In, in the Psalm chapter 4, I'll read it in the Passion for a moment when you have a moment. But whenever it says, whenever I went into distress or whenever I came into a tough time, the psalmist says, Lord, you enlarged me. So, so much of the stuff that you and I are experiencing, can I maybe just throw this at you? Maybe it's not so much the stuff that's going against you. Maybe it's the depth that you have on the inside that's the problem. Maybe we are just so shallow that you and I, all of a sudden somebody sneezes and we freak out. I don't literally mean that with COVID. That was not really planned. But all of a sudden somebody, you know, says something about you. And what happens? You blow up at the handle. Why is that? Is it so much that what somebody said? Or is it maybe that you're just really shallow? Could it be? So what do I need to do? I need to enlarge myself on the inside. How can I do that? I got to get with him. I got to spend time praying in other tongues so that what he says about me becomes more real than what so-and-so says about me. (laughs) I'm just, what we're talking about is preparing us for the days ahead. Can I be real honest? Because it's not going to get better in the world. It's not. The Bible prophesied that. It says in the world it's going to get darker and darker. So let me just encourage you. Praying against what we're seeing out there is a waste of breath. I'm just praying against the vaccination. I'm praying against the chip that's coming. You can't pray against it. Why? Because God has already saw this whole thing through. This is actually going to happen. So what do you and I need to do? We need to be aware of it. We need to understand who we are in Christ. Understand who he is on the inside of us on the inside of us, and we live our lives based off the truth of the gospel. Let's fly. Stupid demon just flying around here. <laughs> so can, can, does that make sense? Because sometimes we are so hard praying against something rather than what we should be praying for is an open door of the word of God being able to go through in our city. Because we don't pray against things. We're not against people. What are we against? Of course, we're against the enemy. You don't even see you and I, the Jesus even telling us to combat the enemy. He said, occupy till I come. So praying against the devil is praying against somebody that you already have your, your knee over his head. You already defeated him. 
So what do we do? We pray from a place of victory. And from this place of victory, we proclaim and we say what's going to happen in these areas. Because to pray against, well, if somebody prays against, somebody's praying for it. So what are you doing? You're just going through a really stupid cycle that you're never going to get out of. And you're going to be drained, going, oh, I just got such a burden to pray. Well, stop it. Nobody should be carrying a burden. Jesus took all of that. Where do I stand now? I'm up here with him. And from this place, I rule and I reign. I tell Red Deer, Red Deer, you are an open door for the gospel. Highway 2, you are an open door for the gospel. Calgary, Edmonton, and Red Deer, all the cities in between. That's how you pray over these things. This is the battle that we fight. I don't know how we got on that. Okay, but the last verse is this. Holy Spirit is protecting our closeness. James 4, verse 5. It says, does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a Jesus, or sorry, Jesus, is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. Who did he define the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Yes, he's our encourager. Yes, he's our standby, our intercessor, our strengthener, our great encourager. Absolutely. But also what else do we see is that the Holy Spirit is a jealous lover. What's a jealous lover? Woo! Somebody wants to hang out with my wife, grab her hand. I'll tell you what a jealous lover is. I will kick your booty into next year, 2021. You'll be happy that it came. I'll whoop you so fast, you won't even know what happened. Then I'll call for backup and then pray for you afterwards. You know, my kids right now, I just love, love this. My kids are watching Gospel Bill. They, like, they're really into it. Anybody remember Gospel Bill? Watch Gospel Bill. If you, if you don't, Gospel Bill was Willie George, which is a church on the move in Tulsa, Oklahoma right now. And what it was, it was a, it was a cowboy show. And... I mean, there's a lot to it. They would give, it's, listen, amazing word content. You can find it on YouTube if you got kids. I highly encourage, there's a lot of word content. And it's from the 90s, so it's older. But there's, so we're watching The Gunslinger, which is the movie now of the Gospel Bill show. It's the movie. It's about two hours long, which I didn't realize. There's a lot of trotting on horses that could just been condensed into 10 seconds. But hey. <laughs> is this... Is this all we're going to do? Yeah, for about 10 minutes. Yeah, that's about all that it is. So, but what happens is, is they shoot a bad guy. Then they run over to them and they say, now you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now repeat after me. And so they get the, the, the bad guy saved before he died. So we've been practicing that at home. I don't know of a better way to evangelize than, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But this is something you'll see. Jace, he'll, he'll shoot Max. Max, fall over. Oh, yeah. Uh, falls over. And then he'll run over to him. Now, now, say this after me. Jesus, I want you in my heart. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I want you in my heart. Amen. And then Max. <laughs> the good news is, Max is saved. <laughs> so... What am I talking about? How does that fit? <laughs> Jealous lover. Uh, still don't know. Okay. Let's just read this verse again. That'll help. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. So yes, there it is. Thank you. The Holy Spirit, as is said, is a jealous lover. Again, also the Holy Spirit is who? Or what does he do? He intensely, intense. What does intense look like? He is so passionate about you and I. I don't think we understand what his passion for us is like. Zachariah says that every morning he sings songs over us. I don't think we understand. He says that he's got more good thoughts about us. They outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. I mean, I just took a dab once. I remember I, was, I actually took some sand from Hawaii and I put it in my bag. And I actually have a thing on my, on my desk that says he's got more precious thoughts than I do. Just in this little container I have, there's probably, I mean, you, you probably got a couple, what, a couple hundred? Easily by just licking your finger, dabbing at it. More thoughts about you than there are grains of sand on the seashore. That blows our mind. But that's who our God is. He intensely desires to have more 
and more and more of who? Of us. So when we think, oh God, God, I want more of you, I want more of you. No, no, no. You don't understand. He intensely desires more of you. So the question is not, God, can I have more of you? The question is, how much more of myself am I giving to him? Because this is what I know about the Holy Spirit to be true, is that this, is that the Holy Spirit, he wants me, he'll fight for me, he'll pursue me, but he will never force me into loving him. Because what kind of relationship would that be? It's controlled, exactly. And that is totally what God is against. God is not into controlling anybody. That's why he's all came for freedom. That's why, I mean, that's sometimes even thought, like, why in the Garden of Eden, why do you put a tree of knowledge of good and evil, even give Adam an option? Don't, why did you even have to mention it to him? Why? Because God cares more about your freedom. He cares so deeply about it. He doesn't want you serving him, loving him because somebody told you or because it's the right thing to do or because, you know, this is what your parents did, so what you do. He wants you loving him because you've experienced his love and it's just reciprocated. God, I want you. That type of fire in a relationship, whoa. It ignites. It gets all overwhelming to the point where you and I, we are, when this whole thing is wrapped up, we meet the Lord in the air and it talks about the husband being Jesus and we being the bride. I know, man, it kind of sounds weird, but don't think of it. I have to wear a dress when you get to heaven. Don't, don't think that. But so passionate that when we meet the Lord in the air, we're going to have a feast for seven years. <laughs> you can't even fathom some of those thoughts. But forever we will be with the Lord because why? This passion that he has for us is so big, it's so deep, it's so wide, it's so high, it's so long that he can't get enough until he has you and I right where he wants us and that's part of his kingdom. Amen. What are we going to do in a thousand years from now? According to Ephesians chapter 2, he's going to continue to open up and show more and more of his wonderful grace. That's all he's going to do. In a million years from now, guess what? You're going to go still going, whoa. Four millions from now, we're going to go, whoa. Ten million years from now, whoa. Thirty million, whoa. What? You have that too? There is no end to our wows in heaven. You're going to be wowed for the rest of your life. But guess what? It doesn't happen just in eternity. It can begin right now. There can be times when you open up your word and you go, whoa. Are you, really? There's so much more to this than just even what you've experienced. So my last verse is this, John 4, 8, it says, come close to God and he will come close to you. So the question that you have to answer for yourself daily, not just once in a while, daily is, what am I going to do with this invitation? If he did everything, he went to the cross and destroyed the gap. He sent the spirit to live on the inside of me. He gave me the spirit to reveal truth and he actually put the Holy Spirit in me so I can experience his divine jealousy for me. What am I going to do with the invitation? So that's something that you and I not just answer once in a while. It's an answer that we have to make November 15th, November 16th, November 17th. That, that invitation will never go away. So what are you doing with this invitation? Can we look into your life and say, hey, I'm responding to this invitation. Ah, he's wonderful. He's amazing.